about the leadership team, and if you're here and you've been part of the, the church family for a while, you just see that God is doing amazing things, that he's moving in this place, that lives are being ch- changed, and we've sat and reflected in just gratitude for this church body. Jamie and I have both said time and time again that the worst thing people can do on a Sunday is play church. The worst thing that can happen is that we focus on making the masks that we wear look nicer and fancier, and on the outside, when people look at the surface, everything looks great. And our social media is filled with smiles, and yet our marriages may be crumbling, our kids may be struggling, we may be a paycheck away from disaster, or on the other end, accumulating more and more doesn't make us any happier. Because we live in a society filled with uncertainty and anxiety and all kinds of addictions and not just to chemicals. Over the last few weeks, we talked about allowing God to change us from the inside out. If we're all created in his image and sin tarnished that image, Christ came so that when we put our trust in him, when we give him our heart, When we submit to him continually in every part of our lives, we will find rest and peace and joy and purpose and meaning no matter what is happening in our world or what is happening all around us. Which is why last week we quoted Augustine when he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. If you're here this morning... And you're weary, you know, that, 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 that goes beyond tired, that goes beyond exhaustion, that's not just a physical, but that it's a deeply spiritual weariness and anxiety, just a burden. Jesus said it this way, I'm going to read it from the NASB first and then from the message transliteration. First, the more familiar, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the message, it says it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Have you been burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that expression. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Just certainly not the message the world gets when they think of Christianity, is it? But yet it's Jesus' invitation And we said a few weeks ago that the Christian life, it's not just grounded in the love of Christ, that our salvation alone isn't just grounded in the love of Christ, but that everything we do, the entire way we are to live as Christ followers is grounded in his love. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at the first step toward allowing God to change us. We're going to look at removing the mask. We need to focus upward to the Lord and his word to then be changed inward by his power, and then we are motivated to live it out, an outward expression of faith. So upward, inward, and outward. Now we're going to look closer at the upward today, because removing the mess does not happen unless we are secure in our identity in Christ. Only then 
can we try to begin really trusting people and trust is built, is lived out in community. This is why groups are so important. You know, it's not just something else to do. It's really where the life transformation takes place. It's really when you're struggling, where, the, where you find the love of God, the people of God come around you and pray with you. It's where you learn. It's where you're discipled. The reality is we need each other to live this out. And so this morning, we're going to look at removing the mask. And I think for many people in the church, in the world, we tend to wear one of two masks. One comes from shame, and the other comes from pride. Neither of them are from God, and more importantly, they will both rob you of the life God has for you. The shame mask we wore because we are afraid, and we're going to look at that. And then there's another mask that we wear because we're prideful. I call that the church mask, the Pharisee mask. In some sense, it's the worst kind of mask you can wear. Now, pride is just overcompensation for being insecure. So it's still based on fear. The root is the same. There are two external manifestations of the same root cause. The root of why we wear a mask is the same because we have lost our identity. And so we try to find our identity and accomplishments with our resumes. Other people try to find their identity in religion, the stuff they show everyone that they do for God. But you see, any identity that does not come from Christ, that's based solely upon the image of God in us, is a stolen identity. It's wearing a mask. And the worst thing someone can do is to turn what Jesus died for into a ritual, into a habit, to come week after week after week and leave the same way with no change of heart. All information and no change. We go on living our day-to-day lives and nobody would ever know we were followers of Jesus because really we're not following him. Ever hear that quote, if you got charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You see, every weekend all over the world, people show up on church on Sunday with their church mask on, trying to make sure everybody thinks that we've got it all together. But the sad truth is, often we're not nearly as spiritual or holy as as we want everyone to believe. You see, during the time of Christ, the Pharisees were some of the most well-respected religious leaders in all of Israel. They were considered by the people to be the most holy and the most righteous and the most knowledgeable. They They were pillars of society. But Jesus could see through the masks that the Pharisees were wearing. And he knew that they were not as holy and as righteous as they wanted everyone to believe. And so in Luke 11.39, he says, You Pharisees clean the outside of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. I want us each to take a hard look this morning at our lives. Are we trying to clean up the outside, but neglecting the main thing? Being a Christian involves a heart transplant. Ezekiel 36.26 I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, God just doesn't doesn't add to. He doesn't just upgrade. He removes the old thing and does an entirely new thing. But we have to allow 
that process to take place. You see, we need to begin to see people the way Jesus does. Our posture should be one of gratitude and thanksgiving of what God has done for us. And slowly our anger is replaced with joy, our hate with love, our bitterness with forgiveness. I know we all say we love Jesus, and if I would say who loves Jesus, everybody would raise their hand. But how do we talk about, what do we think about people who believe differently, who vote differently, who think differently, who behave differently, who see the world differently than we do? Are we at war with them? Because make no mistake, we can war against ideas. You don't have to tolerate ideas. Ideas, not ideas, as my wife would criticize if she was here. But we're, we're to tolerate people and to love people and to be gentle with people. That doesn't mean we don't contend for truth. By nature, truth is exclusive. If one thing's true, then that means something else is false. So by nature, truth will divide. But if we are so busy being at war with people, it's awful hard to love them, isn't it? Because we mistakenly begin to see them as the enemy, those people who were also created in the image of God, who Jesus also died for. Dare we forget, but by the grace of God go I. I posted a quote on Facebook the other day, and I said this. If you criticize people more than you pray for them, you may be doing life wrong. Jesus says it this way in 1 John 4.20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I mean, you don't have to go to the Greek. You don't have to go to a, to a commentary. That's pretty direct and to the point. He is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Listen, it's telling to to look that Judas was with Jesus every day for three and a half years. He ate with him and he walked with him and he listened to him teach and he saw him heal people and he held an important leadership position among the apostles and yet he was not a believer. He was not converted. He didn't have a heart transplant. He was filled like the Pharisees with wickedness and greed. He had all the apostles fooled. None of them suspected he would betray Jesus, but he did. Some people today are imitating the characteristics and the lifestyles of Christians they know. We know how to play the Christian game. We know how to act, what to say. We can quote John 3.16, the Lord's Prayer. But we've never put our trust in Jesus Christ. We've never accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We've never given our lives over to him. We can know all the answers to Bible trivia, but until we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, we are not born again. And so if we are pretending to be a believer, we need to begin by taking off that mask, by humbling ourselves before God, by confessing our sins to him, and we'll have a chance this morning to do that. Because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Because God sees behind your mask. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You've heard me say before that I have a pastor friend who says, There's some people in the church who have been Christians for 50 years, and there's other people in the church who have been Christians for a year 50 times over. The saddest thing in the world, really, 
to go through that, to be exposed to all that teaching and to be the same in your heart week after week, year after year, to miss, as we said a few weeks ago, the greatest love affair of all times. Now, I know it takes time to develop trust, and I know many people have been wounded in this life, taken advantage of, and so there are reasons we put on masks. And I don't want to go too far off topic, but I want to say this because, you know, when I hear the phrase good father in that song, you know, good, good father, beautiful song, but when I hear the phrase a good father, I understand that. That's my context. I get that. I had a good father. I know what it means to have a good father who loves me and protects me in the human sense. And so when I hear that spiritually, that makes sense to me. And maybe that makes sense to you, and praise God if it does. But you need to understand, for some people, the term father does not connotate a protective, loving, you know, sacrificial relationship. For some people, that word is, it means fear and abuse. And so the term loving father, they don't understand that. That's foreign to them. They've put on a mask for protection and self-preservation. So it's important that we try and understand other people's context. That some of the things that are default that we take for granted are very foreign to other people. Now here's what I found. If you take the risk, if you take off the mask, you will find these things to be true. First of all, that you're not alone. You know, that you, know, you, you share and then somebody else goes, oh, you too? And second of all, when you're willing to take off your mask, others are willing to take off theirs. And what you have is so powerful, and you'll hear me say this every week, you have an authentic, transparent, transformational, Christ-centered, spirit-led community. And that's what the church is called to be. We want to be a healthy church. There are so many unhealthy churches. I hear all the time, churches closing, churches looking for pastors. The definition of church is those who are called by Christ, following Christ, pursuing his priorities. And so as a leadership team, we are so prayerful about being led by Jesus and not trying to you know, lead Jesus, not trying to jump ahead of what God would do to be led by him. So before we talk about removing the mask, I want to look at where the mask came from. Because you see, the Bible's not just a religious book. In fact, it provides deep insight into human psychology, into human behavior. It is a book of poetry and songs, of history and prophecy. It is the story of the rebellion of a people and the pursuit of a God. Because all the best stories are redemption stories. And this, the greatest redemption story of all, is deeply written into the human heart. And he is redeeming our stories as well. You see, in order to remove the mask, we need to trust. And when we learn to trust, we surrender. And when we give these things to him, he makes all things new. That's the promise. That's what he does. He takes our mess, he takes the ashes, and he makes something beautiful. Revelation 21.5, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And so if we want to see where things went wrong, we need to go to the beginning. And so turn with me to Genesis 3. And I want to try to get through this quickly. So 
says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now again, I don't want to go too far off topic, but it's interesting that the strategy, and we've talked about this, the strategy of the enemy has never changed. Always does the same thing. He comes to us with lies, and they're not, they're not lies that are so far off of the truth that they're almost believable. They're in that gray. They're, they're a twist on a truth because the greatest lies are just twisting the truth, right? You, you're on God for the things that are way far off, but the things that are... And so right away, the enemy comes and he lies. He twists something that's not true. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden... But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, so the principle there is also true, that most of the time when the enemy comes with a lie, we know the truth. And sometimes we can even repeat the truth back to him. Well, no, that's not exactly what God says. But yet still, watch. When you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the human condition. We have everything we need. All our desires are fulfilled. We have a perfect relationship with God. Everything is fine. And the enemy comes and lies and says, there may be something you don't have. It's never changed. It's the same thing. We have the playbook of the enemy and we literally, like, we, we fall for the same things over and over again. It's the exact same process that unfolds in our own lives. And then we start to think about it. We start to entertain it. Well, maybe. And it's just insane. If you think about, we would think, well, maybe the God who sent his son to die a horrible death on the cross for me, maybe that God would try to withhold something from me. Yeah, because that makes sense. But the enemy gets in. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, when Brian saw that that was the thing he wanted and he thought maybe he could negotiate and find a way to have it all, to walk with one foot in the world and, and one foot, you know, in the church, and, and then you're divided and then you're split in half. And we wonder. When she saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Because you know, when we do bad things, we want somebody else. Hey, come on, do this with me. I don't want to be alone in my stuff. If you do it, then I'll feel a little bit better about my depravity. Right? I mean, this is... Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. We've talked about this before. When we think of the effects of sin... We think primarily, and we look at how it separated us from a holy and perfect God, and it does that. It's the primary thing. It does that. But in fact, the whole question of where are you to suggest this, no longer is there an intimate relationship where there is a constant and perfect communion, so it separates humans from God, but it also causes conflict between man and woman. It also causes conflict between mankind. We see the first children born under the curse. There's the first murder. Brother kills brother. And it also causes conflict between mankind and the environment. The environment no longer cooperates. By the sweat of your brow, you will work. And finally, what we are looking at this morning, and this is very, very important, because it's created in each of us an internal conflict. It's created a sense that something is not quite right. 
that something inside me is causing me to be naked and afraid. That in the root of who I am, I feel shame. This is deep stuff. This is all, you know, this is psychologists. You know, they look at this stuff. And, and, and again, the Bible informs everything. You know, when, and I was talking about this at the men's breakfast. You know, they have in the business world, it's servant leadership. It's like the new kind of catchphrase. Like, oh, yeah, that's so revolutionary, you guys. <laughs> servant leadership. Go back to the word, man. It's all in the word. You see, every human being born under the, the curse, and you know, there's a theologians will argue whether it's inherited or committed, and I say it doesn't really matter because if I didn't inherit sin, I would have committed it, right? So it doesn't, you know, theologically, we, you know, it's inherited, but the fact is that it's in our nature, it's our default. And we know deep down that something is missing, and so we try to compensate. And we try to fill the void with relationships. We buy things. We seek after titles and degrees because we want to be loved by many. We want somebody to look at us and say, you're okay. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. But nobody and nothing can do that except God alone. He created you to desire him. He created you to seek after and be fulfilled in him. And no matter how wise or wealthy or well-known we become, deep down inside, we will always be restless and afraid. We will always compare ourselves to others and feel like we don't measure up. And so in self-preservation, we put on a mask. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now again, for the sake of time, I want to point out a couple things. We could go really deep here. This is regarded by the early church fathers and scholars as an appearance of the pre-existent Christ. When it says that they heard him walking, that means it was a physical manifestation. What that means is this. The minute sin came on the scene, Christ came on the scene. And that should be beautiful and encouraging to us. And when the Lord God calls the man and says, where are you? It's not because he doesn't know where the man is. It's because he's trying to bring to the man's attention that that perfect unity and communion and intimacy is now changed. Now there isn't that, that same kind of relationship. The dynamics of the relationship are very different now. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Since that very day, humans have felt naked and afraid ever since. It is as universal as our desire for friendship, and God's response is right there in Genesis. He has shown us the way back. In fact, in the next few verses, you see the judgment and the grace of God. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And now watch right away how south this goes. Ready? The man said, the woman you put here with me, your idea, I was cool. <laughs> she gave me some fruit for the tree and I ate it. Blame. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And so I ate. Blame. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, judgment, 
Cursed are you above all the livestock, the wild animals, you crawl on your belly, go forward and forward. To the woman, he said, I will make your, cha- your pains and childbearing very severe. Anybody, right? With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food. And we understand. The curse comes. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now, ready? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Grace. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, The man now has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Grace. Because had we not been kicked out of the garden, and we had the potential to be in that state forever. To have lived forever in, in separation from God. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from whence he had been taken. So again, not only does Genesis show us the source of our shame, the reason we put on the mask, it shows us the solution. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. So here are some things we need to rely upon. A new way we are to live if we are followers of Christ and to be found in him. And it's a process we need to learn, and so we're going to explore together. But the end result is that we need to remove the mask. And so this is why last week we looked at Paul's prayer, because this is a prayer for being a genuine Jesus follower. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Again, this only happens if we focus upward. It only happens if we're changed by the Spirit and the Word of God. And it happens when we encourage each other in that process. Continues, with all knowledge and discernment. So it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. We said weeks ago, everything's grounded in love. So that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. That means we need wisdom, maturity, proper understanding of who God is. So that, verse 10, you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the, de- for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that comes through Jesus, not our intellect, and then finally to the glory and praise of God. This is our reason for living. This is our purpose. You see, one day our lives will be evaluated. And Jesus is not going to say, Brian, I see that you drove a Porsche Cayenne, which is my favorite car. <laughs> Brian, I'm very impressed by how educated you are or, or how incredibly handsome you are. I mean, you know, those things are all true. <laughs> most of them. Okay, pretty much none of them. But the point is, Jesus doesn't care about those things. Now, the world does. In fact, that's the way the world keeps score. But Jesus doesn't. He cares about your heart. If we are Christians, the whole game changes. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciousness. 
We are not, again, commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. And having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died that we who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. To be a Christian is to be controlled by the love of God. Jesus died so that we might no longer live for ourselves. And so if you are still living for yourself, if you are still wearing the mask, you will be naked and afraid and restless and your focus will always be on trying to create some identity to fill a void that will never be filled apart from Christ. You see, we're no longer to be naked and afraid, not because of what we learned or what we know or what we've accomplished or what we can buy, but simply as a result of his grace and his mercy, his gracious, loving kindness, the relationship in the garden, the intimacy we once enjoyed where we had no shame because our identity was hidden in the cross can be restored. There's an anonymous quote that says, we really don't believe in God if we don't enjoy him. We really don't believe in God if we don't enjoy him. So Christ has taken the mask off of us and he's giving us the task of removing masks through the Spirit of God, of creating communities where God can heal and make whole and renew and restore what the enemy has taken. You see, the reason why people, so many people have given up on church isn't necessarily because they've given up on God. That's sometimes the case. But so many times they've given up because of what Christians have made the church. So, a story by Chuck Swindoll kind of highlights the point I tried to make a few weeks ago or last week about recovery groups. And he says this, and we're gonna, I'm going to, uh, Ruth, and if you guys want to come up now, and uh, I think I did pretty good with the time. I tried to leave time because after worship, we're going to transition into prayer and put it into practice. You know, stay as long as you can, but be prayerful. Spend some time doing business with the Lord. Spend some time repenting in humility, asking him to help you take off the mask. Because even if at one point you took it off, there's a good chance we put it back on again. So Chuck Swindoll tells of a meeting about meeting a man he had served in the Marine Corps with several years before. He said he was pleasantly surprised to learn that the man had become a Christian after he left the Marines. And they were reminiscing a little about the good old days in the Marine Corps. The man looked at Chuck and he said, you know, Chuck, the only thing I still miss is that old fellowship I used to have with all the guys down at the local tavern. I haven't found anything like that for Christians. I no longer have a place to admit my faults and to talk about my battles. At the time, Swindoll didn't know what to make about the man's statement. And then a month later, he came across the following paragraph in a book. It said the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit that there is to the fellowship Christ wants in his church. It's an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality, but it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It is unshockable. 
You can tell people secrets and they usually don't tell other people or even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And the writer concluded by saying, I believe that Christ wants his church to be an unshockable fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm hurting, I'm beat up, I've had it, I'm struggling. God can take our honesty. He knows our hearts. And Jesus came and died so that we can take the mask off and we can put on the new man and the new woman. Colossians 3.9 Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old selves with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here we are free to be who we are created to be. And we're going to transition now to prayer after this worship song. And I encourage you to stay because taking off the mask begins with you and God alone. It begins with you confessing and repenting and him forgiving and empowering. And I can't do that for you. And Pastor Jamie can't do that for you. But God alone can help you remove and live without the mask the mask that some of you have been wearing your entire lives. And here's the thing. None of the masks I wear are remotely close to who I am. And none of the masks I wear are remotely close to who God created me to be.